Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Uh, I would like to um, notice a couple of people here tonight. Um, one is standing in the back. He has no hair on his head. And that's Lynn Brown, who is having a birthday today. And the other one is sitting here on the second row, Miss Renee Schaefer, who is also having a birthday today. Is anyone else having a birthday today? Well, why don't we sing? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Lynn and Renee. Happy birthday to you and many more. Happy birthday. We won't talk about your ages. We'll just get right into the sermon tonight. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. All right, we are in our second um, half, the second half of Thessalonians in the book of Second Thessalonians. So let's turn over there as we're continuing our series on Route 66. Um, little Mikey and his family were invited to have Sunday lunch at Grandma's house. And so they're sitting around the table. What was this sigh about from Val? You just, you know. It's... <laughs> she gave me the response before I got to the punchline. Um, what was I saying? Mikey, yeah, and his family there at Grandma's house for Sunday lunch. And as they're passing the food around, and finally the food gets to Mikey. And as soon as he gets his food on his plate, he goes right to eat. And his mother said, Mikey! You know better than that. We need to pray first, she said. No, I don't. He just kept eating. His mother said through gritted teeth, at our house, we pray before we eat. He said, that's our house. But this is grandma's house, and she knows how to cook. <laughs> well, all right. Okay, thanks, Ralph. I got an okay. That's a lot better than what I usually get. We're going to go to... Um, 2 Thessalonians, but I want to read you something, a couple of scriptures before that, um, just to kind of build toward where we're going. And, and this, this first one is found in Galatians chapter 4, and it says, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Did you know Jesus was born of a woman? It's important that it tells us that because otherwise people can come up with some real funky religions, and they do. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, say, I am son. All right, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. It's the most intimate relationship we, we've been brought into by that phrase, Abba, Father. It is the, it's what a child, like when my girls say, Daddy. Well, you know, the white flag comes up. I surrender. It's that 
thing that you can say to God because you're in the family. And when the spirit of his son enters your heart, he brings you right into this close, intimate communion with the Father. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is coming to the Father but through me. You come through me, I'm taking you to the Father. Hallelujah. Those who are outside of me are going to the judge, but I'm taking you to the Father. Glory to God. And because he was born of a woman, Jesus, born of a woman, born, and that is, by natural means, like us, and that we could be born again, born of the Spirit, made the sons of God. And so by doing that, Jesus came, Romans says it like this, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he condemned sin in the flesh. God did that through his son. He condemned sin in the flesh. The Bible likens him to Adam, calling him the last Adam. He's not the second Adam. He's the last Adam. All right? And so he came in that likeness so that he could redeem us, so that he could, under, so that he could sympathize with us, I should say. He could understand us in the present state that we are living in this body. But that all was one part of it. Listen to this other, other scripture right quick. Um, we're going to Thessalonians, I promise. But this stuff started just stirring in me when we were in worship um, tonight. And I just, listen to this. This is Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians, I should say, chapter 15. Um, verse 47, the first man was of the earth. Who's the first man? Adam, okay. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. Aren't you glad that, that uh, your life is not just dust in the wind? Hmm? That's not the sum total of your life, dust. Dust to dust you shall return. But now that you are in him, now you have become heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Praise God. Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at chapter 1 and verse 3. And here is where we're going to talk about the person of Jesus. In, in First and Second Thessalonians, there's a great emphasis on the end, great emphasis on both the rapture of the church, us meeting the Lord in the air. Remember, we talked about that last week. And then there's also the second coming of Christ. And this is all about the coming. Remember how we look through every chapter in, the, in First Thessalonians, all five chapters have to do with all of them say something about the coming of the Lord. And even in these next three chapters in Second Thessalonians, there's a great emphasis on it. This, these people were very concerned about it because there were those who were saying at that time who were, who were there was this, because of misunderstanding of, of some of Paul's teaching and misrepresentation of his teaching, many believed that they were already in tribulation and that Jesus had come and they had missed it all. And so now they were, they were, they were going through this tribulation time. And so Paul comes to set the record straight and tell them, no, 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 that, that hasn't happened. There, there's no reason for you to be shaken about this or, or to be ignorant. And so he's going to help make things, bring understanding to those who were troubled. Now look at 2 
Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. You know it's important that your faith grows. God has dealt to each person the measure of faith. But that's not all the faith. He wants, he's given you the seed. He's given, and now he's telling you, grow this thing now. Grow your faith. That your faith grows exceedingly. And we'll talk about that in another time. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. How are you counted worthy of the kingdom of God? Through faith in Jesus. That's what makes you worthy of the kingdom of God. All right, since it is a righteous thing, listen to this, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, that's why you don't need vengeance in your heart. That's why you don't, you don't need the get even with them attitude. All right, you leave that to God. God's looking out for you. He's fighting your battles for you. Praise God. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Listen to this, verse 8. In flaming fire, in flaming fire, in flaming fire, taking vengeance, here we go, on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that mean, those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to obey the gospel? It's important for us to know what that's talking about because if we think it's about what we do then we will be sorely mistaken sorely mistaken Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 starting 13 for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved how then shall they call on him of whom they have not and how shall they believe on uh, who they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Did you hear that? How beautiful are the feet of the, that's a quote from Isaiah, uh, those who preach the gospel of what? Peace, who bring glad tidings of what? Good things. Did you hear that? It's a gospel of peace, and it's glad tidings of good things. I'm going to say it again. It's a gospel of peace, and it's glad tidings of good things. So what should you hear when you come to church? You should hear a gospel of peace and glad tidings of good things. Amen. And when you go out into the world, what, should, what message should you bring to the world? You should bring a gospel of peace and glad tidings of good things. I don't know why these religious guys can't get it figured out. I don't know why they think they have to balance the goodness of God or the gospel of peace when that is our commission from God. And he says it's a beautiful thing. Amen. Now watch. Glad tidings of good things. And then he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, 
Who has believed our report? So Paul teaches us here, and we put this all in context, it means to obey the gospel is to believe the gospel. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. To obey it is to believe it. Does that help you tonight? All right, let's keep going. Uh, verse 9 of Thessalonians. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Paul hardly ever talks about this right here. Now, we all know hell is a real place, don't we? And we know what's going to happen to those who do not know Him nor believe His gospel. Right? Paul says they're going into everlasting destruction. But I think it's interesting that this isn't the emphasis of the gospel. The emphasis is Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ risen from the dead. All right? We have to keep the emphasis on the right thing. Not to ignore the fact that hell is there. Listen. Those who are lost know they are lost. Come on, am I talking to anybody here? When you were without Christ you knew something was missing from your life. You had a gaping hole in your soul. Hmm? And so that absence of Him made you restless. It made you want to fill that thought with distracted doing something else. To, to not have to face that, that horror of His absence. But when the gospel came to you and you believed on him, see, all we have that already, that we already have that sense. We're born broken. We're born in sin. So we already have the sense of not only the sinful condition, but the consequence of sin. What is the consequence of sin? Sin brought death or separation from God. Okay? I know I'm being a bit theological with you, but this is important that we continue to talk about these things. And this is what's going to happen to those who do not know God, to those who have rejected this gospel. They are going to live in a Christless eternity. Now that right there should grip us. See, I think that hell should be preached more about in church than out there in the world. <laughs> so that we help us remember that we are living for something greater than this lifetime. There is an eternity that everyone is going into. And it's either with God or it's without God, but it's forever. So that we stay gripped with this message. So that we don't just walk by people with our eyes cast down. That we remember Christ and His sacrifice and that He earned every soul that we come in, come in contact with. He has the right to have them as His reward for His sacrifice. And the truth is, we don't want anybody, anybody, to end up there without God. It's just not right. Not when we have a message that we can bring. And it's that message that saves them. Okay, we must continue. Watch. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power, when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints. Oh, that's your reality. 
to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So when he comes, now he's talking about that day. Paul talked earlier about an event that would take place before this second coming. And that was when those who are, when he will descend, Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will be raised. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. See, that's a different event. We're going to meet him in the air and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. And so there's a time, that's when we talked about this time of the Gentiles, this time of the church, this dispensation is going to be closed up. And then God is going to go back to work with his people, with Israel. And that's when many of the Jews will come into the kingdom of God. And so while that's happening, uh, we are going to be with him. But then there's the day when God says, it's time now. And so this time when he comes, it's not going to be, his first coming was that to redeem man. Born of a woman to redeem us from our sins. And then he's going to appear in the, in the clouds to bring his church home. When he comes and he stands on Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives, that's the day of vengeance. That's the day when he will bring vengeance upon all those who rejected his blood sacrifice. Revelation calls it the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Father has been satisfied in his Son, but the Son, or the Lamb of God, which was slain from the foundation of the world, is going to execute vengeance on those who rejected his sacrifice. And according to Jude, chapter 1, verse 14, let's read what this says. Jude, chapter 1, Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with, with who? Ten thousands of his saints. There you are. There you are in that day of the, coming, the second coming of the Lord. The day of the Lord is what, what it's referred to as. When he comes, you're coming too. I want us to look at Revelation chapter 19 for just a moment. This is glorious. Remember when it said he's coming in a, as a flaming fire. Revelation chapter 19 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like what? A flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We've talked about that robe being dipped in blood. And the reason he has blood on his robe is because there's blood on the mercy seat. When Jesus was ascended back up to the Father, he brought with him an offering of his own blood. And he put it on that mercy seat. And he sat down on that mercy seat in his own blood, the blood of the everlasting covenant. Praise God, signifying that the price had been paid, the blood had been shed, therefore there is total remission of sins. But when he stands up off of that mercy seat with his robe stained with that blood, that's going to be the day of the vengeance of our God and the armies in heaven. Who's that? Hmm? And the armies in, of heaven, in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Praise God. 
Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he shall strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can we just give him praise right now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. When he comes, we're coming with him. What a glorious day that's going to be when we will all look upon him. We will all admire him and praise him and see him in all of his glory and thank him that he saved us. That we're not on the other side of that white horse and that king who's bringing his wrath. That we're on his side. Hallelujah. Coming with him. It's a, it's a glorious thing. And it is the reality of how things are how things will be. He is the man of heaven. He is the heavenly man. And he who is heavenly has also made you and I heavenly people. Hallelujah. What a glorious thing he's done for us. Now let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now he's going to help bring some things into order here. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, Notice he makes a distinction between those two things. He talked about our gathering together to him previously. Now he's going to focus on the second coming. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So he's here to set the record straight. It hasn't come yet. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, or the son of lawlessness. We know him to be the Antichrist, okay? Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. You see that spirit in the earth, don't you? You see that, that Antichrist spirit in the earth, men exalting themselves, men refusing the knowledge of God, okay? So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Nobody's nobody's saying that he's God except him. Do you not, where is he going to sit? He's going to sit in the temple. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He's talking about there in Jerusalem. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. So it's not time yet because he who is restraining is here. Well, who's he who is restraining? Let's keep reading. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. That's when the falling away is going to happen. Okay? So what's happening there? Who is he who is restrained, and where is he taken to? Who is restraining right now? Can anybody answer this question? The church, yes. But there's somebody that is living in the church. Jesus said, I will send my spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has come, and he is the one who is in his people, in his church, restraining the evil that's in the world, restraining this Antichrist from taking power, all right? Restraining this falling away. But when he's taken out of the way, my family, if the Holy Spirit's leaving, so are you, all right? He's not going to give you his spirit and then yank him out of you. And say, good luck with all that tribulation stuff. No, he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
All right? So when he's taken out of the way, the church is going too. So he's helping us understand these things. And once that happens, see, then, then the falling away happens. Any sense of what is righteous and holy has gone away from people's minds, even those who don't believe. Because I, I believe the fact that the church is here has given the world an overall sense of morality. But when it's completely taken out, how lost the lost will truly be. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. I love that. This guy's going to exalt himself and call himself God, sit on the throne, and the Lord's going to go. <sighs> with the breath of his mouth and, uh, and, and, uh, and destroy it with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow. So Paul sets the record straight. That day's not come yet, guys, because you're still here. You're still here. You're going to be taken out of the way, and then everything's going to happen that way. So the church, uh, he brought great comfort to it. Now, this book was written just a few months after 1 Thessalonians was, uh, when the report came back to him about how things were going there. And heard that they were enduring and they were strong in faith. They were growing in their faith and their love toward one another. Yet they still had this issue about the end. They were still very confused about that. Apparently, there had been some come in who were teaching some funky stuff. Still happening today. Y'all remember the billboards? Huh? What year was that? I think that was like 2012 or so. Right? Set the date on the billboards. The guy paid I don't know how much money. Lots of money. Had to have been several million dollars because he did it all over the country, all over the place. Billboards saying that Christ was coming. Think about the waste of that money. <laughs> this guy wants to give his money toward the things of God and that's what he chooses, picking a date for Jesus to come back when Jesus don't even know when he's coming back. But this clown knows? You kidding me? And I mean that in the kindest way. <laughs> a clown with a little horn and red nose. Okay, let's go to one last place here with our, with our memento. Uh, and that's going to be in chapter 2, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren. Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Thank you, Lord, for that. Chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see, you see God's part and your part. He does the sanctifying and you do the believing. But we are bound, uh, to which he called you by our gospel. Oh, I love that. Did you see that? He called you by our gospel. What was the gospel that they brought? It was the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace. And it, the moment 
you speak the word of God is the moment God is calling that person to salvation. Did you hear what I said? I said the moment you declare the gospel is the moment God is calling them to salvation. You see how much he needs us in the earth? Hmm? He needs us to declare this gospel to not be ashamed. Remember what we read earlier? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? I mean, even an angel came to Cornelius' house and said, you need a preacher to come. His name is Peter. Why didn't the angel preach to Peter or preach to Cornelius? Because it ain't an angel's message. The angels didn't need to be redeemed. Men needed to be redeemed. So it's the message of the redeemed. This is our message. That's why the angel didn't preach it to him. He had to get a preacher, had to get a man there to come preach that gospel so that Cornelius could hear and believe. All right? And God needs you to go and preach this gospel so that others can hear and believe. Because it's, uh, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said that we have, uh, bring that up for just a moment. I'm, I'm wrapping it up as quickly as I can. Uh, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now watch this, is going to clear up what the ministry of reconciliation is. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the ministry of reconciliation is the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The message is God has reconciled the world to himself. Now we're saying to you, our message to you is to be reconciled to him. That is, believe this gospel. Believe it. Believe it. All you have to do is believe this truth. Believe this gospel and you'll be saved. So now it's God pleading, see, it's God pleading through us. In other words, it's God calling them to salvation by using your voice to declare his message. Amen. And Titus says that the grace of God has appeared to all men. So this salvation is for all. All who will believe. And all who will believe will be those who hear and those who call. Let's continue. That, now we're talking about that's being established here in the Word. Being established in the Word. Turn to somebody and tell them, be established in the Word. Established in the Word. Therefore, brethren, verse 15, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. Stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, we know that Paul is not talking about man-made traditions. In several other places in the Scriptures, he speaks against man-made doctrines and man-made religions and man-made traditions. Even Jesus spoke about that. When Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, it's your traditions that make the Word of God of no effect in your life. Is there anything more powerful than the Word of God? Yeah, the traditions of men. It can stop its effect in your life if you only live by tradition. And that's what has caused so many churches to just go to ignorance because they hold to their tradition more than the truth of the word, the power of the word. So he's, he's saying that this is a tradition that you don't need to let go of. That's why our church is called One Cause Church because we hold to the tradition of the gospel of Christ. That's it. And, and that's, that message is never going to change. Now, how we express that message, how we bring that message, there are all kinds of ways to do it. Methods come and go, but the message stands forever. And that's the tradition that we hold on to. It's Christ and Him crucified. Hallelujah. It's Christ and Him buried. It's Christ and Him risen from the dead. That's the message we will continue to bring. So he says, hold fast, hold, stand fast, and hold the traditions. That word hold means to get possession 
to become master of, to obtain, to take hold of, to seize, to lay hands on one in order to get it into one's power. Verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and, our, and God, our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation. Consolation means comfort. Everlasting consolation and comfort and good hope by grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. How do you get the word established? How do you get established in the word? Well, one way you get established in it is by hearing it. By hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What you're doing tonight, amen, you're becoming more established in the word by hearing the word preached, not only from it here, but also hearing your own self declare the word. When you're reading your Bible, read it out loud. When you have those moments, I know you can't do that all the time, but when you're in a moment when you can read it out loud, let your own ears hear you read the word, all right? So, and read it. Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God over yourself. Confess his word. Speak the word and tell others this gospel. Speak it to others. Help others bring that word of life into their, into their situation, into their hearing. Teach it. Anybody have kids here? You can be established in the word by teaching the word. Teaching it to others. Because the moment you start to teach it to others, you, you realize you have to know it in order to teach it. Huh? Man, I need to study a little bit. Because kids will ask you some questions. Oh, my gosh. Well, God, if God made everything perfect, how did the devil sin? Oh. Stuff like that. You know, well, give me some time. i got to go study. Pray the word. Pray those promises. Think on it. Meditate on it. How about this? Memorize it. We all love to memorize here, right? Uh, <laughs> memorize it. Listen, it can be as simple as one verse a week. Get the word. Get established in the word. One verse a week. In a year's time, you'll know 52 verses of scripture by doing one a week. And if you happen to know how to sing and make a little melody, you can put that verse to a melody. It's a lot easier to remember. Just some simple, practical things to do. And then look at chapter 3, verse 3, and, and this is where we're ending, okay? I promise. We're coming in for the... We're circling the airport. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Now watch. And we have confidence in you. Remember that he's going to establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things that we command you. Um, in other words, he's saying... Put what you were taught into practice now. Live this. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Now I want you to notice the key word here in this verse tonight is brother. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about withdrawing from I'll call them unbelieving believers. <laughs> Those who believe, but they don't walk their belief. They don't live their belief. All right? For you yourselves know, and we'll come back to that in just a moment, because it says, 
uh, to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. So what does he mean by disorderly? He's going to help us understand in just a moment. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. The disorderly conduct that he's, he's talking about are people who are lazy. People have nothing else to live for than to get in other people's business. Hmm? What's the old saying? The devil finds work for idle hands. <laughs> or another way to say it, idle hands are the devil's workshop. If he does not work, he will not eat. If he does not work, he will not eat. Let's all make a friend of that phrase. If he does not work... He will not eat. We have a, young, a couple of young guys that are in our church that are, that are students at Christ for the Nations right now, and they're international students. They're from um, Africa. And, you know, Bud and, and Melinda Kick here, who d have done lots of missionary service over there. Bud's a construction man and, and built orphanages and care centers and things like that over there. And they met these two boys, Ethan and Collins, and, and we're going we're gonna, to um, introduce them to you. And you've probably seen them here and met them, but we're going to um, talk about them at the end of the month. We're going to have a mission Sunday at the end of March. But <laughs> he, uh, was it Ethan that went on the outreach? Maybe both of them did. Okay. They went on outreach with the, with, uh, the school. The school's always doing these outreaches, both internationally and and, and domestically, we just had a team just come back from Mardi Gras and who were there ministering. God bless them for doing that. And uh, I had a student sitting across from me today just telling me story after story after story about how people were coming to Jesus and how other people wanted to spit in his face and beat him up. But, you know, they, they made it. And uh, anyway, so these young, these African boys, they, they go and they, they, they take them to uh, the homeless shelter <laughs> and minister to the homeless. And so either Ethan or Collins, I don't remember which one, when they got through with that, they came home and he says to his mother, well, what's this homeless shelter about? All right, says to Melinda, what's this homeless shelter about? She says, well, that's where the people are that, you know, don't have a home. He says, yeah, but they're healthy. He says, I talked to a woman said she'd been there for 10 years, and he says she's perfectly healthy. She can work, but she's not working. Why? Well, you know. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Take an African to, who sees real poverty, like we have no clue about. I mean, even our, fat, our homeless people are fat in our country. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? I'm not saying they're all lazy. That's not what I'm saying. Please, please don't misunderstand me. Just catch the spirit of what I'm talking about. There's a scriptural precedence here because there's something that happens when a person goes idle. All right? They become subject to the evil one. And that's why Paul was saying that the Lord would guard you and keep you from the evil one. And that, that begins to get stirred up. Watch verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Those who are not working, not working at all, but are 
busybodies. Let me give you the definition of busybody. To bustle about uselessly. To busy oneself about trifling, needless, useless matters. Used apparently of a person <laughs> officiously inquisitive about others' affairs. We call that gossip. Hmm? Let me give you some wisdom from Proverbs. A worthless man devises and digs up evil. And the words on his lips are like a scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and one who gossips separates intimate friends. A violent and exceedingly covetous man entices his neighbor to sin and leads him in a way that's not good. Idle hands. Idle hands. Busy bodies. Not working. Just going about them. Paul says, listen, that's disorderly conduct. You do what you're supposed to do. That is, work with your own hands, make an honest living, and keep your mouth shut. Look what he says. Verse, verse 12. We're almost done. Now those who are such we command and exhort that, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. It did not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. All right? So we, have, we need to encourage one another. I'm not, thank God, that I know that's not any of your experience. But to watch Guard yourself and make sure that the, even your own brothers and sisters, even those who claim to be Christians, that they're helping you continue to move forward in the things of God and that they don't influence you in other ways. We all have response. It's a noble thing. According to the Scripture, it's a noble thing. Part of this gospel that he preached to them was to work with your hands. All right? If you'll do that, take care of you and your family. Work with your hands, an honest living, and, and provide for yourself. I mean, God has given you this body. He's given you the ability to do it. That's going to keep you out of a lot of trouble. Amen. I think Mike Warnke said, if you get busy doing the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand up together tonight. Father, thank you. Thank you for this great message that's come to us through this epistle. Lord, we, we Lord, wow. What a day it's going to be when our Savior comes. And Lord, we, we look forward to the day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. What a glorious day it's going to be when we are ever with the Lord and with one another forever. And what a day it's going to be when we see our King take vengeance upon all those who rejected him and make all things new and right all the wrongs and make everything right again and good again and establish his unshakable kingdom here on the earth. But until that day, Lord, you've called us to be established in the word and to be established in the work of God. So Lord, let your word flourish in our lives. We welcome your word and its effect. And Lord, that we, as we labor with our hands, Lord, and, and as we do what we are called to do here on this earth, to be an example, both in word and in deed, Father, that that will influence people, that that will be a light for those that are around us, God. That will cause them to become curious and to ask questions at what they see in us. Let our good works, God, cause other people to glorify our Father in heaven. When they see this light, that they'll see the way. 
that we will make the way clear to them, God, that we will be bright lights where we go, willing vessels, willing to share, willing to open our mouths and declare this good news, God, and to not be afraid and to not cower and to not retreat. But what a day we're living in now, this age, this day of grace, to say God's arms are open to you. God has reconciled this whole world. He's not counting your sins against you. Come while you can. Today is the day of salvation. Be reconciled to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.